Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. I was with Father Benedictus last week, and, um, and I said, Father, you look great. And I said, I think you've got a few years left in you. And he said, I'm afraid you're right. He informed me tonight that this is um, probably his last time he may be able to leave the New York area to travel a long distance to be able to see. Um, of course, he's told me that for the last six times I've invited him to come. He's agreed to shine. I don't know if it's like Sicilian ways or what, but the gentleman that we have with us tonight needs no introduction. But I will say this Father Benedict, we thank you for being an icon of Jesus Christ in our world. You will be rewarded, and I ask you to pray for us. Please join me in welcoming Father Benedict Rochelle. Thank you, Sabatino. I'm delighted again down here with you. I keep saying this is the last time. And every time it feels like it's going to be the last time, but you don't know. I'm 78, and uh, I'm pushing on F79, and the Irish say you can't kill a bad thing. <laughs> Only the good die young, say. So here we are. Maybe I'll be back again. You don't know. I want all of you to join me in thanking uh, Sabatino for the wonderful work that he has done with his associates in the organization. And God bless him. He's a real apostle. Let's give him a little. Now. This evening, we're going to walk, talk into, let me get this. By the way, I am with another friar. This is Father Fidelis, one of our friars, comes down with me and travels me around and keeps me going. And uh, I'm very grateful to Father Fidelis. Like the two of us, we both come from New Jersey. Have you been to New Jersey? Yeah, no. Now, what we want to look at, the sorrows, the sufferings, the pains of this life. And they're very real. And they share with everyone, except a small group of people. And you hope that they don't like that, because that small group of people, maybe three or four percent of the population, are people who do not suffer. They don't care about anybody else. 
they are called psychopaths. And uh, many of them are in prison. And the rest of them should be in prison, but they don't get that. They don't feel about other people. And it wasn't done maliciously. That came into their life when they were little children. For many years, I was chaplain of Children's Village, which was a large agency for emotionally disturbed and delinquent children. And I would meet a child nine years old who had no sense of good and bad. And it's a tragic situation for them. And uh, you, you read about them in the papers. And every once in a while, they get into the, the history books because they become big, big shot politicians. <laughs> and, and every once in a while, they don't have much of a conscience, if any at all. The rest of us suffer. And you suffer because of many things. Most people suffer because their own pains, aches, uh, difficulties in life, sufferings of illness. But perhaps most of us suffer more for the suffering of those whom we love. And particularly because of death. Uh, people that we love, important part of our life, and they're dead. You may remember if you an old-fashioned Catholic, we used to pray to St. Joseph, the friend of a happy death, because St. Joseph is there in the New Testament at the birth of Christ, not as his father. He's conceived by the overshadowing of Mary. But Joseph is there and doing his part. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't say one word in the Bible. And by the time we come to the public life of Christ, 30 years later, there's no mention of St. Joseph. So we call him the patron of a happy death. And uh, I'm hoping when I finally get out of purgatory, which it doesn't upset me, I'm from Jersey City, and it looks just like purgatory. Uh, uh, and uh, finally get there, uh, I, uh, I want to talk to St. Joseph. What, you know, what's been going on? And can you imagine poor St. Joseph? He lived with two perfect people. <laughs> there where they were, you know, and somebody said, who left the door open last night? Guess who? And, uh, it must have been Joe. Something interesting to know about St. Joseph, that up until 1500, it was the tradition of the church that St. Joseph was a widower and that he had called by divine providence to call Mary his wife, his virgin wife, who would remain ever a virgin. 
and that St. Joseph had a number of children from his first wife. And you know, in the Gospel, it often refers to the brothers and sisters of Jesus. And so, in the very early church, uh, St. Joseph was honored as the foster father of Christ. If you ever go to the Vatican Museum, there's a painting of St. Joseph by Michelangelo. It's a little corner, a little chapel almost. And here is a picture of our Blessed Mother holding the Christ child at about three years old. He's giving a blessing. And next to it is this man who looks a bit bedraggled and his four or five teenagers and older kids pulling on his robe and everything. That is St. Joseph. He's a good person to think of and to pray to him. Now we're going to talk about the problems of everyday life and they can be very large. They can be illness of oneself, but more painfully, the serious illness of those whom we love. The death of members of the family or very close friends. They may die of illness or they may die of old age. And to every life that sorrow comes in, you must be aware of that. Obviously, every one of you have thought about it. It's happened in your life. And if you look back over the years, the days when you have had very sorrowful days, days of tears. And we know, we used to say that beautiful prayer, I don't say it so much anymore, too bad. Hail Holy Queen, Mother of Mercy. Our life, our sweetness, and our hope. To thee do we cry, poor banished children of ease. And we speak about the valley of tears. That beautiful poem, or it's a poem and a prayer, is written by a Benedictine monk who lived about a thousand years ago, blessed Herman Joseph. And mourning and weeping in this valley of tears. That's part of every life. Now, we spoke about, Father Deacon spoke about the poor. Indeed, Father Fidelis and I, our order, its purpose is to care for the poor, have helped the members of the order to grow a spiritual life and to be working with the poor. And we do that in the South Bronx and Newark, various places, in Honduras, Nicaragua, places in Texas. And it's very interesting. St. Vincent de Paul said, love the poor and your life will be 
filled with sunlight and you will not be frightened at the hour of death. And St. Vincent de Paul was the great saint working with the homeless and poor in France. Some of you belong to the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. It collects for the poor, right? And St. Vincent de Paul, so beautifully, love the poor and your life will be filled with sunlight and you will not be frightened at the hour of death. And St. Vincent took on with his early Vincentians thousands and thousands of desperately poor people. You know, we live in a time, thank God, that the government takes care of people when they have serious problems. The time of St. Vincent, orphans, abandoned children, roam through the streets. The sisters of charity founded by St. Vincent started going out every day, collecting out of the street, homeless boys and girls, some of them four or five years old, just abandoned in the street. We live in much later times, and we live in better times. But look around, and you will see people who are suffering. Sometimes they may be economically in trouble, but they may not be. But sadness, sorrow, illness, mental illness, physical illness comes into a family and into people's lives. And we have to somehow or other do something about that. Now the first thing you obviously do is to pray for people. Perhaps pray in your own very family and pray fervently. Uh, I have to say, having watched this in my life, some people, when they have a big problem, say a very small prayer, a little bit of a Hail Mary. That's not serious prayer. Serious prayer changes things. It, it, it causes things to change. And in the lives of many people I have worked with, and some of whom I have been related to, by serious prayer, they, it, they did better, much better. Many years ago, when she was just in her very early 60s, my mother came down with terminal cancer. Mother of six children, of which I was the oldest. And I had a sister who was a teenager. And my mother was an old-fashioned Catholic. She prayed. She prayed. And my father prayed. And things did not, she didn't get a miracle. She lived longer than they expected her. And she was able to get around to within a few weeks of 
the, toward the end of death. And even the last day of her life, all of her children and my father were gathered around the bed as she's going. And she said goodbye to us all. And uh, early in the morning, she died. And my father and I went up to the mother house of the Dominican sisters. And we had mass there early in the morning with the elderly sisters in the infirmary. How sad it was. And yet, it was consoling. It gave hope. I knew that my mother was aware of us on the other side. But think of all the people that you know who do not have faith, or they have some faith, but it's vague. How many people in this country will call, say they're Christians? An immense number of people. And they may not be Christians at all. Maybe they were baptized, maybe not, but uh, nothing in their family has prepared them for life. And probably every one of us here in this very church, including myself, can think of relatives and close friends. Good people, but they have none of the supports of faith. And you might ask yourself, well, what are you supposed to do? While you think, oh, if you're a priest, you can do something. Hmm. People duck when they see a priest coming. Oh, yes. They, they, they manage to be quite busy. And other people, lay people, devout lay people, are embarrassed to bring up faith to another person in the family or among the friends who doesn't practice. And you have to be careful because if you were to try to preach to them in one way or another, you'd have a very negative reaction. That would not be smart. But, da-da. Now this is worthwhile coming this evening. What do you do? Wait till a time of difficulty. And somebody's in the hospital. You go to the hospital. I brought a mass card for you. Would you like to say the rosary? Here's the rosary. Some of them haven't said the rosary since they made their third converted communion. But when they're in the hospital, they're scared and they listen. And you very gently bring the expression of faith about it. And you may be very surprised that they will react very well. And you, you didn't even realize for someone to bring up faith for them. Maybe you bring them a little New Testament or a little prayer book 
for the sick. Something not, not dramatic, not overpowering. Just be there. If someone is quite ill, uh-huh, the question, would you like me to call the priest? Now the older people know what call the priest means. <laughs> they call the priest. After they call the priest, they call the undertaker. <laughs> and it's not because of the priest. They're getting ready to go. And, you know, that might be very helpful to people. Who knows? It might affect their eternal life. Don't be afraid. Now suppose, I don't think any, it doesn't very often, would be rare, someone who that you bring up faith and help and prayer in a very negative way. That would be unusual and the person might very well be a disturbed person. Uh, that, that could be. But uh, just think that you yourself may be called upon to be a disciple, a someone bringing the message of preparing for illness or death. You know, everybody is going to die. I keep been waiting for years and I keep hanging around. If people do think about it and they're ill or they're old or they're in danger, what about it? Now, I could only tell you, as a priest, when people are suddenly faced with terminal illness or the possibility of terminal illness or serious illness, they are getting ready to turn to God. Don't be surprised. Some of these hard-boiled eggs suddenly become scrambled eggs very quickly. And be prepared to do it. And uh, I can think a couple of people in the family tree didn't go to church for years, but all of a sudden they were getting ready to go. And I went to see them and I said, uh, would you like me to call the local priest to come for your confession? And I'll bring you Holy Communion. I cannot imagine them saying no. I, I think so. And you know, in the, our Lord himself in the Gospel warns people to be ready. That's the, one of the most important messages of Christ. Be ready. Because it comes like a thief in the night. Be ready. Now, also, you go to the hospital. A cousin, a brother, a relative, close friend. Would you, would you like me to speak to the chaplain 
and ask, would you like to talk to him? Oh, no. Well, he's a very nice chaplain. I spoke to him. And wouldn't it be nice? Wouldn't it be nice for you to pray and maybe get ready if you're going to go? Do you think I'm dying? Well, you might be. But sooner or later, we definitely are going to be dying. Don't, don't be surprised. You might be change the eternity of a person. This is a responsibility that we ought to do. Now, Americans never, ever, ever have to be made to feel that they have to do something. That's part of democracy. Nobody has to do something. Oh, yeah. Supposed to go to the hospital and you see our, your oncologist and he says you have to have radiation treatment. You have to. Oh, you're going to ignore it, but you're going to die a lot sooner. You have to do something. When you have an income, which I don't have, uh, you have to pay your taxes. And sooner or later, they will come around and, and find out if you didn't. Yeah, I should know this, that friars don't get any income at all. So would you believe we don't pay taxes because we don't get any income? Anything that we get is used for the work of the church or the poor. And it's an interesting thing. When I was, in, I was a senior in high school, I had to pay taxes because I was working so much that I earned that. But I haven't been back. I was very happy to join the monks and uh, the friars that I don't have to pay taxes. Now, just think of what you can do. You're a devout Catholic, or perhaps a devout Protestant, or a devout Orthodox. And we might have a couple of devout Jewish people here tonight. I wouldn't be surprised. And uh, each one of you who took this amount of trouble to come to this great, beautiful, big church, what you should be aware that you should be responsible to help other people, beginning with certain members of your family and then your neighbors and perhaps the people that you work with. We don't bring up easily that someone is quite ill. Suppose you're at the office, you're working, and uh, a man who works there misses several days of work and he comes in and everybody knows that his wife is in very, very serious illness, probably dying. And uh, you say, the perfect thing to say, you know, I've been praying for your wife and for you. I'm praying for you. Nobody is ever going to turn that away. And no one is ever going to laugh. Never. And then you say, uh, do you have a 
a clergyman that you would like to come and visit. If you're Catholic, would you have to have the priest? Oh, I haven't been to church in a long time. Well, it's a great time to start right now. You ought to go to church next Sunday and start praying. Yeah, but what am I supposed to do? Well, call up the rectory and talk to the priest. Tell him the situation. Or, unfortunately, we grew up the older people. We knew when confession was. Four to six, seven thirty to nine every Saturday night. Now you don't always know when confession is going to be there. But look for the opportunity to getting people assistance. That's a responsibility. And bring it gently. Now the worst will could happen, somebody will be annoyed. Let them be annoyed. But 99% if they are ill, or someone dear to them is ill, they, even if they've been far away from their faith, all of a sudden, the light goes on in their mind. I could tell you as a priest, I know a number of people who didn't practice their religion for years, oftentimes through the 20s or so. And then illness or tragedy or death of a beloved person is the moment and they change their life. I would be sure that there are people in this church tonight like that. Uh, and one of the, the greatest is St. Augustine. St. Augustine, one of the greatest theologians of the church, was a bright, very bright young man. And he was quite worldly. He had a girlfriend and a, an illegitimate child. And uh, his mother, Monica, was praying for him all the time. And she was dying. And he went to see her, and she asked him, don't lose your soul. Come back to God. And she, she died. And that was the occasion, Augustine turning back to God and became a priest, a bishop uh, of the ancient church, and one of the greatest Catholic theologians. We have a city in this country named after him in, in Florida, St. Augustino. Now, we ought to also, in our own personal life, it's your journey for your life. Go back to the second or third year of life. Remember the first memories that you have. Probably many of you have an early memory of going to religious education or perhaps to Catholic school. And uh, I had a sister in the second grade who was a canonizable saint. 
Sister Teresa Maria. I had one that would frighten anybody, Sister Longinus. She was named after the soldier who hit our Lord with a spear on the cross, and she was picked up the right name, uh, uh, Longinus. Uh, and, uh, but she was part of the whole, the whole thing. I knew by the time I was seven years old, I was supposed to be a priest. I only saw the priests, as kids do, in the parish. The priests were friendly, and uh, the old Irish pastor, Father O'Donnell, walked every street in the parish every day, walking around, great Irishman, and the big smile, and talking to everybody. We knew it, Father O'Donnell be coming by about a quarter to three in the afternoon. And I remember uh, these kindly priests and some of the kindly sisters. Some of the sisters were tough, but they learned us, you know. Any of you go to the sisters of St. Joseph? Anybody went to St. Joseph of St. Joseph? They opened the top of your skull and poured it in, right? <laughs> Was that Philadelphia? Where? Oh, North Dakota. I know North Dakota. I'll have to talk to you later. I've been to North Dakota. And not very many people can make that statement. Uh, uh, well, go back and think. And now, we have converts here or people that are almost converts. The family was distant from the church. Perhaps the kids got to baptism, maybe first communion. And then somehow or other, divine providence, the grace of Christ, the watching out of the Blessed Mother, brings you back closer to God. That's why you're here tonight. You are here by the providence of God. Make the best of it. It's the only life that you have. It goes by rather quickly. It goes by very quickly. I'm almost 80, and I can't believe, I cannot believe that I'm almost 80 years old. It sounds terribly old, except when you get there. And I look through my own life. Now, I'm, God gave me a vocation, so I was a friar when I was 17 years old. I've been a friar all those years. And how grateful to God to be a friar. Friars are sort of like monks, except the monks often live in the woods or in the countryside with big farms and schools out there. The friars work in the middle of the city. They work with the ordinary, the Franciscans, the Dominicans, the Carmelites. These would be friars. And then there are priests like the Jesuits and the Passionists. They are called, you never hear this name, the clerks regular. The word regular means they follow a rule, the regula. So the Jesuits, the Passionists, many other like that. And uh, they, 
do great work. It's interesting to know that the Catholic Church suffered a lot of loss in the 70s and 80s. So did the other religious denominations, and so did the country, and morally and things like that. If you grew up in the 60s and you watched television, you wouldn't see the garbage that's on television now. The country is sinking morally, culturally, spiritually. But on the other side, interesting, not only in the Catholic Church, but in the other denominations, there are more and more young people, unusual, but they are very fervent. Uh, I read the magazine called Christianity Today. It's published by evangelical Protestants, and I read it every month just to see what's going on. And years and years ago, you might get an anti-Catholic article. Never anymore. And they will be speak very well of the church, and when they put their months uh, announcements, you know, news things, a couple of times a year it's about the Pope. Uh, that That's the the believers have come together, and they are probably about 30% active believers in the United States. In the United States, 30% of the people are Catholics, 30 to 40%. And uh, among those, again, 30% of those go to church, go to practice their religion, support their religion, and that's what you find, and uh, goes right through. Keep it growing. Don't get discouraged. I'm looking here tonight. I see many young faces. It's not simply a religion of older people. Now, I'm not against old people. Uh, I like old people. Uh, but young people means the future. And uh, now I'm going to say something. Da da. I am disappointed with a lot of Catholic higher education in the United States. Uh, there's a lot of Catholic universities and colleges, as far as I'm concerned, they're for the birds. There are outstanding. Some. I was on the board of Franciscan University, Steubenville. That would be an outstanding Catholic university. I would say probably of the 220 Catholic colleges and in this country, there'd be about 35 were really, honestly, seriously Catholic. And there's another 30 percent that a sort of kind of like. Sad to say, sad to say, the Jesuit universities are not to be, be happy with. 
I used to teach at Fordham University. And uh, I dropped out. I, enough. Now there are some excellent men at Fordham and some superb Jesuits. But the general atmosphere is blah. Uh, St. Louis University, one of the oldest Catholic universities, dropped out the Catholic name. It's no longer a Catholic university. Well, at least they were being honest. They told everybody. How sad at this very time that we need excellent Catholic higher education. May I suggest, because there are people here tonight, to send their dollars in to Catholic higher education. Perhaps their daughter or son is going to an official Catholic school. Find out what they're doing with your dollar. And don't be afraid to complain in letters to the president and the members of the board. Find out who are the members of the board. Because some are very sadly falling short. I don't want to get too explicit with this, but I am disappointed. Now, I, don't, I can complain because our order in a million years would never run a university, wouldn't you say, Father Fidelis, no. We work with the poor. That's the wonderful people to be with. That's the poorest of the poor are delightful to work with. And uh, they respond very well. Now, I'm going to stop because I brought up a number of painful or important questions. And if anybody would like to ask a question, I agree with the bishops 100%. But, you know, I never met Mr. Obama in my life, and I'm not particularly anxious to. But what he has been controlled by secularism. You know, originally, Obama was pro-life. Did you know that? Openly. Because... He was in Chicago, and he was under the direction and influence of Mayor Daley of Chicago. And Mayor Daley was made by Cardinal Fritch, Archbishop of Chicago. He pushed Daley, and Daley pushed Obama. It's sad that Obama ended up where he is. All my life, I have worked with African-American people. I joined the Friars, and we work with the poor. Uh, I was originally a Capuchin. The Capuchins had a very 
famous mission, St. Benedict the Moor. We worked with African-American people, and we know them quite well. And that men, a number of uh, African-American people are in the friars and in the Capuchins. And uh, it was nice to hear about Mr. Obama at that time, because he was somewhat under the influence of Cardinal Stritch. What happened? Politics. That's politics. He sold out, which is no positive compliment. He sold out, and he, I don't think he's particularly pro-abortion. I can't imagine anybody was sane being in favor of abortion. What they're in favor of is permitting legally abortion. I mean, if, if you're in favor of abortion, it's like being in favor of murder. You know, it's, it's nuts. But they are in favor of allowing this very sinful and tragic behavior. And uh, originally, Obama was pro-life. Why did he change? He sold out. He's a politician. I'm from Jersey City. I grew up with them. I know what they're all like. And uh, it's sad to say that we're in that position. And it's interesting, very interesting, outside of the Catholic faith, more and more people are becoming opposed to legal abortion. It's moving in the right direction. So let's keep praying, because if, if you really want to be sure, the politicians, if they think they're going to get something with it, they'll get in the line. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he show his face to you and have mercy on you. May he smile upon you and give you his peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist. Pray for us.